Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Chris Shoemaker of the Plaster Rock United Baptist Church here with today's Sunday School lesson, which is going to be taken from Genesis chapter 26. And I don't usually title Sunday School lessons, but I did this one and I entitled it Like Father, Like Son. So you'll you'll understand why as we get into the lesson, why I called it Like Father, Like Son. So before we go any further, let's just take a moment and submit our hearts and minds to God and ask the Lord to uh, open us up to be able to receive his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the fresh air outside, the crisp, beautiful morning here in New Brunswick, Canada. Father, we just ask that you would just please kind of warm it up a little bit to make it more comfortable for us uh, to have a drive-in service this afternoon. And Lord, we just ask God right now that you would just still and quiet our hearts and minds Help us to be cognizant and to be purposeful as we focus in and hone in on your word so that we may learn more about you, learn more about the history of your people, which we are grafted into. Help us to know what your word is trying to say to us so we can apply it to our hearts and our lives and our minds. Uh, the Bible is just so full. We learn different things. There's historical things. There's doctrinal things, religious things. There's sometimes even scientific things and and uh, uh, poetry and art and it's just it's it's a it's a one size fits all kind of book, and it speaks directly to us regardless of how long ago it was written, because it, it the common thread through through that is the need for man's redemption, and that's something we all have in common. We have a fallen human nature. That's something we all have in common. So, Lord, bless the reading and teaching of your word this morning. Give me the articulation and the words to say that I might glorify you and be readily understood. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. And while you're turning to Genesis chapter 26, um, as I said before, we've entitled this Sunday school lesson, Like Father, Like Son. And I'm sure that every one of us out there has experienced deja vu, where it's like, you know, I've, I feel like I've done this before, or I feel like I've been here before, or I've had these exact same feelings. And we try to think, well, did I dream this? Or did something similar happen in my past? And, you know, so we're, we have that experience of deja vu. Uh, and not only that, but, you know, sometimes when a child is born, we say that that child is the spitting image of their father. Right. Uh, you know, they look like them. They talk like them. You even compare photographs from when they were little and compare the child's photograph. They look almost identical. Uh, and, uh, you know, history repeats itself. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And sometimes, even though we learn from history, uh, we're doomed to repeat history because it's programmed and ingrained in us by how we've been raised and how we've been taught. So it's kind of a default uh, setting. And we consciously have to be aware to go against the grain of that. And so we see Isaac is a lot like his father, Abraham. And I remember, like most children, you know, when you're little, you look up to your parents and think that they're supermen and superwomen. And you want to grow up to be just like them. And I'll never forget the time when my dad took me to the barber shop. I was a blonde-headed, fair-skinned boy. My dad had the farmer's tan and had the dark hair, and he had the hair parted on their side with it with a Superman curl swoop in the front. And I wanted to be just like my dad. And so the barber humored me. You know, I'm sure my dad already told him what kind of haircut that I was supposed to get. And uh, he said, okay, Sonny, what kind of haircut you want? 
And I just proudly puffed my chest out and threw my shoulders back. And I said, I want a black haircut because that's the kind of hair that my dad had. I wanted to be just like my dad. So we see Isaac is a lot like his father. So in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 6, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, aside from the previous famine that happened in Abraham's day. So here we're already making connections where the climate and the history and the conditions are pretty much the same between Abraham and Isaac. So Isaac went to King Abimelech. Now this was likely Abimelech II. I highly doubt that this was the same Abimelech that uh, Abraham encountered because Abimelech is not a name, it's a title. So Abimelech means, it's Avimelech in Hebrew and it means uh, father to the people. So you can see how that's more like a title than a name. So it says, so Isaac went to uh, Abimelech of the Philistines to Gerar and Adonai appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land which I'm about to tell you. Live as an outsider in the land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your seed, I will give all these lands, and I will confirm my pledge that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your seed like the stars of the sky, and I will give your seed all this land. And in your seed, all the nations of the world will continually be blessed, because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my charge and my mitzvot. That means commandments, my decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Uh, so if you're reading from your Bible and it's a little bit different, it's because I'm reading from the Tree of Life version, which is a Messianic uh, version, which uh, Jewish people would be more readily to accept and be able to more quickly relate to. And the reason I chose this version for Sunday school is I do want to bring out the more Jewish Hebraic flavor of the scriptures because, after all, that's the people who wrote it, correct? So we see that God is, is reestablishing the covenant with Isaac that he made with his father, Abraham. And we can kind of see this in several places in the scripture. Uh, first and foremost, in uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, it says, Then Adonai said to Abram, Get out of your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation and to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. My desire is to bless those who bless you, uh, but whoever curses you will be cursed. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Pretty much identically what God was saying to Isaac in the previous passage we read. Now, there's other instances in scripture where God was making a covenant or clarifying the covenant or adding to the covenant that he made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. You go to Genesis chapter 15, this is the covenant between the parts. You go to Genesis chapter 17, it's the covenant of circumcision. And in both instances, it talks about being a blessing to the nations, about being blessed, about becoming a great nation and a great people, countless and numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. So we see how that already links up to our uh, passage and how it parallels between Isaac and Abraham. Now, moving on to verses 6 through 11 in Genesis chapter 26, uh, it says, Now the men of that place asked about his wife. Already sounding familiar to you? Remember when Abraham went down to Egypt and uh, he says, uh, Now look, honey, you're a fox. I'm not the only one who thinks so, and I'm afraid that these guys are going to kill me to get to you. So do me a favor and just tell everybody that we're brother and sister, because so it'll go well with me, so I won't be killed because of your beauty. 
So here Isaac is taking a cue from his father. It says, now the men of that place asked about his wife. So he said, she is my sister. Why? Because he was afraid to say, my wife. This also kind of testifies to what we know as generational curses or familiar spirits. Now, I dealt with a spirit of fear for most of my life. And just within the past decade, I've been able to free myself from this spirit of fear. I learned that I inherited this spirit of fear in the womb from my mother. Just as, you know, eye color and, and predisposition to diseases can be passed on through the DNA, there's spiritual DNA and you can pass on spiritual things to your children. My mom constantly lived in fear and she was always nervous and and I kind of inherited that from her and so likewise Isaac kind of fell into that same familiar spirit that generational curse of fear because he's doing the exact same thing as dad did except for Isaac's situation was worse Abraham told a half-truth he he said just say you're my sister which wasn't really a lie because they were half siblings but he omitted the truth that not only is she his sister, but wife also. Now, Isaac didn't have a leg to stand on. There's no way that Rebecca was related to Isaac in that way. They were cousins, but weren't siblings. Now, the men of that place asked about his wife. So he said, she's my sister because he was afraid to say my wife or else the men of the place would kill him or kill me on account of Rebecca because she's so good looking. Now, the rabbis say, that Rebecca was the spitting image of Sarah because after all, it was Sarah's relative, right? So they looked alike. So if Sarah was beautiful, then Rebecca was, was beautiful as well. Verse eight, now after they had been there a long time, King Abimelech the Philistine of the Philistines peered down through his window and saw, behold, Isaac caressing with Rebecca. They might have been playfully wrestling and flirting and giggling. Maybe Isaac was chasing her through the meadow and tackling her. And, you know, we've seen it in movies and you know what happens next, right? And King Abimelech saying, now, wait a second. Brothers and sisters don't do that. If they do, that's pretty sick. <laughs> so, um, you know, he, he sees other translations see sporting with Rebecca. They're flirting, playing around. Others say fondling. So we hear it say caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, so in fact, she is your wife. Now, how could you say she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, well, because I said, or else I might die because of her. Then Abimelech said, what is it that you've done to us? History repeats itself. Deja vu. Where have I read this before? Same thing was said with Abraham. When, when, when the, the, the king found out that Sarah was Abraham's wife, he said, what have you done to us? Exact wording, almost verbatim. What have you done to us? One of our people could have easily slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech commanded all his people, whoever touches his man or his wife will surely die. So we see the exact same scenario happen in Genesis chapter 20. We don't have time to go over that and read that, so I'll just let you kind of read that yourself. But if you compare Genesis chapter 20 to Genesis 26, it's it's like a parallel universe. You know, it's it's the same it's the same story, the same thing, except for you have Abraham as, you know, the the main character in one chapter and Isaac in the next, but 
the stories are virtually identical. Kind of like, okay, I'm always talking about MMA, right? You know, I love combat sports. So you have the tail of the tape, right? And you have these two opponents, and they're side by side on the screen, and they give their stats, their age, their height, their weight, their, their reach. And uh, so they'll say, um, you know, so-and-so has such a reach advantage over the other one, but the other stats are virtually identical. They're pretty much the same weight, pretty much the same height, you know, uh, pretty, they're, they're the same age, but maybe the reach advantage is different or something, you know, so it's kind of like this, virtually identical. All right, moving on to verse 12. It says, then Isaac sowed in the land and in that year reaped a hundredfold and Adonai blessed him and the man became great and continued to become greater until he became very great. So we see the same thing happen with Abraham as well. Abraham became rich while he was in the land. So rich, in fact, that he was starting to intimidate the king because the king's like, he's getting more richer and powerful than even me. Now, when we talk about kings in the Old Testament, we think of like these big kingdoms that spread over a vast territory. You know how like the, the sun never set on the British Empire way back in the day, right? That's, that's what we think. But really, when it's talking about these kings, these are more tribal kings. It's not like these great grandiose kings like the king of Babylon and, and, and you know, or the, 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 the king of England or whatever. It's more of tribal. So they did have you know, a big territory and controlled a lot of people, but another Bedouin could come along with much more cattle and servants and kind of challenge him because, you know, they're pretty much equal in people and in strength. And so, you know, we see Abimelech becoming a little bit, you know, intimidated by Isaac here. So verse 14, he acquired livestock and sheep and cattle and numerous servants. Then the Philistines envied him and all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the day of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up and filled up with dirt. So Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much more powerful than us. Whenever, when have you ever heard a king say to just a, 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 an average Joe, oh, you gotta get away from us. I'm afraid you're gonna take us over. So you, you kind of see the, you know, the the, political historical climate here and how kings were. All right, moving on. Verse 17, so Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and he dwelt there. Then Isaac dug again. Uh, oh, okay, let me just stop there. Let's jump to Genesis before I continue on. Let's jump to Genesis 20. And I'm gonna read verses 14 and through 16. And you'll see it's pretty much the same story. Like father, like son, deja vu, history repeating itself. Abraham said, because I thought there is, uh-oh, wrong verse. Then, Abib then Abimelech took sheep, cattle, male servants, female slaves, gave them to Abraham and turned his wife Sarah to him. Then Abimelech said, look, my land is before you. Dwell wherever you please. At the same time, he said to Sarah, look, I've given a thousand shekels to your brother. Look, it is compensation for everything that has happened. So to everyone with you, you are vindicated. Okay, so we see kind of the same thing, just as Abimelech threw Isaac out, uh, you know, we have Abimelech the first throwing Abraham and Sarah out uh, as a result. Okay, uh, back to chapter 26, verses 17 through 22. So Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water that, uh, that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. The Philistines had stopped them up after Abraham's death. Talk about envy. Talk about jealousy. Talk about being intimidated, right? I mean, you're filling up the wells of a dead guy. 
Come on. The Philistines had stopped them up after Abraham's death. He gave the, them the same names his father had given him. Then Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of living water there. But the shepherds of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's shepherds, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Quarrel, because they quarreled with him. Then he dug another well, and they quarreled over it too. So he named it Accusations. Then he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Wide Spaces and said, Because now Adonai has created a wide space for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Now, Romans 12, 18 commands us, If possible, far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. So Abraham or uh, Isaac wasn't going to quarrel over these wells that he dug. You know, he knew that the Lord was going to find him water and provide for him. And instead of having a war between Abimelech's people and his people, he decided just to kind of let it go because eventually they were going to find water elsewhere that nobody was going to quarrel about. So Isaac was a man of peace. Because Abimelech was intimidated by Isaac, he certainly had the manpower to probably kick Abimelech's butt, but he chose not to. Now, Abraham, he took on, uh, what was it? Uh, four kings, four kings, and whooped the pants off of them with only like, uh, I think it was like 318 men, trained warriors within his household, uh, when there was this big war of four kings against five kings. Uh, you had Cheddar Omer's group against uh, Sodom and Gomorrah's group. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were subject to Cheddar Omer. They decided to rebel, didn't want to have to pay tribute anymore. So there was this big war, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, Lot... Abraham's nephew gets caught up in all this mess and becomes a prisoner of war. So Abraham gets word of this and he gets his trained military men and set out on a night mission and in a surprise attack at night, kicks the butt of these three kings and rescues his nephew along with Sodom and Gomorrah's people. And uh, so don't tell me that Isaac, you know, couldn't stand against Abimelech. If Isaac could stand against five kings, there's no question Isaac could have stood against Abimelech, but he chose the path of peace. And as a result, he finally found a well that nobody was fighting or quarreling over. All right. Now, moving on to Genesis uh, chapter 26, verse 23, we continue on with the story of Isaac. And we're going to see again how it compares with his father's story before him. So verse 23 through 25, it says, he went up from there to Beersheba. Beersheba means wells of oath. So this is where all the wells were. Adonai appeared to him at night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you and I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of Abraham, my servant. Why do you think God did that? Because Isaac was probably pretty scared. He probably knew he could kick Abimelech's butt, but at the same time, he just didn't want to go to war. You know, just in case things went south, he felt like he was becoming so rich and powerful that the other tribal kingdoms around him were, you know, had painted a target on his back. And they're like, we better take this guy out before he takes us out. So maybe he's a little bit scared. And so God appears to him and says, don't worry, I got your back. So continuing on with verse 25. So he built an altar there and called on the name of Adonai. He pitched his tent there and Isaac's servants hallowed it, oh, hollowed out a well there. All right, so let's compare this to uh, Gen Genesis uh, chapter 
12 verses 1 through 3, which we've already previously uh, read, uh, which is basically God saying, leave your country, leave your land. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Uh, let's jump to chapter 13 and read verse 18 if my computer decides to cooperate with me. So as I'm waiting for the buffering system, I'm going to take a drink of coffee real quick. Okay. 13 verse 18, it says, So Abraham moved his tent from place to place and came and dwelt by Mamre's large trees, which is in Hebron, and there built an altar to Adonai. Sounds just like we read in uh, verse uh, 25 of 26. So he built an altar there and called on the name of Adonai. He pitched his tents there and Isaac's servants hollowed out a well. History repeats itself. Same pattern of life. Isaac is the spitting image of Abraham. And you know, Abraham is or uh, Isaac is kind of left out in the whole story. We we well, we always say the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But we focus on Abraham and we focus on Jacob because there's so much written about their lives, but there's hardly anything written about Isaac's life. So we just kind of think that he's kind of a second-rate patriarch. But the reason that there's not a lot of information on Isaac is because we would basically be reading the same story over again. If you've read Abraham's story, you've read Isaac's story. And I think that's why uh, there's not much said about Isaac because it kind of stands to reason he was the spitting image of his father. Now, moving on, we're back in uh, Genesis 26. Moving on to verse 26 through 33, it reads, Now Abimelech went from uh, went to him from Gerar. So we see Abimelech has kind of like softened his heart, maybe changed his mind a little bit. Uh, now Abimelech went to him from Gerar along with Ahuzat, his friend, and Pichol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, <laughs> why have you come to me since you hate me and sent me away from you? Then they said, oh, we've clearly seen how Adonai has been with you. So we said, let's now uh, be in agreement between us, between us and you. And let us and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we haven't touched you. <laughs> oh, politics, right? So we see Abimelech. He's got his tail between his legs, and he's scared. And he's like, well, Isaac hasn't started a war with me yet, and I'm afraid he just might. So to kind of head that thing off at the pass, let's go and uh, let's make a peace treaty, a pact with Isaac. So then we'll know for sure he won't attack us. So that's what's being done. And it says, oh, let's make a covenant with each other so that... Um, that you do not harm us just as we haven't harmed or touched you. We haven't done anything but good to you, and we sent you away in, in, in shalom. We sent you away in peace. No, that's not how it happened, Abimelech. You basically got scared and ticked off because Isaac lied to you, and you forced him out. You kicked him out. Not only that, your guys stopped up all the wells that belonged to him and his father. So don't tell me, Abimelech, you didn't do anything wrong to Isaac, but Isaac, let's see how Isaac handles this, okay? Um, you are now blessed by Adonai. Then he made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Then they got up early in the morning. Okay, so they, they do a sacrifice, and they eat the sacrificial offering, or part of the sacrificial offering, as, and, and the meal kind of solidifies uh, the, the, the peace treaty, the pact, the agreement between them. Uh, so, and they spend the night together. Uh, then they got up early in the morning and made a pledge each to his brother. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed in Shalom. 
Now it happened that on that day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a well that they had dug and said, we found water. So he called it Pledge in memory of the peace treaty he just made. That is why the city is named Beersheba. Beersheba, wells of oath, wells of pledge, wells of promise, wells of seven. That's what Beersheba means. Uh, okay, so now to kind of see the repeat of this historical event, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 21 and see a very similar thing happened with his father Abraham. Uh, so in uh, Genesis 21 verses 22, uh, here is Abimelech the first and Abraham, and the story repeats itself almost identical to what we just read with Abimelech the second and Isaac. Now it came to pass about that time that Abimelech with Pichol, and see Pichol, you, you read about him with Isaac. Again, Pichol is probably not a proper name. It's probably a title. It's probably a title given to the commander of armies uh, in Gerar with the Philistines. So Pichol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. So now make a pledge to me here by God that you will not violate your word with me or with my descendants or with my offspring. Okay. You read that right there? This is saying that this covenant is not just between Abimelech the first and Abraham, but this covenant is with Abimelech the first as well as his descendants that come after him, Abraham and his descendants that come after him. So we clearly see the way Abimelech II treated Isaac, that he broke this covenant that his father made with Isaac's father. So they kind of have to reestablish that covenant. So now make a pledge to me here by God that you will not violate your word with me or with my descendants or with my offspring. As I have shown loyalty to you, so the same to me and to the land in which you have lived as an outsider. Abraham said, I make a pledge. Now, Abraham had rebuked Abimelech because of the well of water that um, Abimelech's servants had seized. So Abimelech said, oh, I didn't know anything about this, nor did you tell me, nor did I hear anything just until today. Then Abraham took a flock of sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs apart from the flocks by themselves. Seven, Beer Shiva. Oath, wells of oath, or oaths of seven, seven oaths. See right here? Kind of cool, right? Um, so Abimelech, uh, then uh, Abraham set the young ewe lambs apart from the flock and the sheep by themselves. Abimelech said to Abraham, what do these ewe lambs that you have set apart mean? And he said, you are to accept these ewe lambs from my hand so that there may be a witness for me that I dug this well. That is why the place is named Beersheba, because they both made a pledge, and they made a covenant in Beersheba. Then Abimelech got up with Pichol as commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Um, okay, so uh, let's just finish it off. There's only two more verses. Then he planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of Adonai, the everlasting God. He lived as an outsider in the land of the Philistines for many days. Okay, so it's interesting how all through chapter 26, we can parallel what's happening with Isaac, and almost the exact identical same thing happened before with his father Abraham, and with the same peoples, you know, kind of the same characters are, are in this story. So like father, like son, spitting image, you know, a chip off the old block, history repeats itself. So let's finish this chapter out in uh, Genesis 26.
and we're going to go to verses 34 and 35, and we're going to kind of comment on that. When Esau was 40 years old, okay, so Jacob and Esau, they're brothers, right? Jacob got the birthright. Jacob uh, got the inheritance uh, of the firstborn. And uh, Esau was just kind of left out in the cold. Basically, he brought it upon himself because he despised his birthright. And the Lord already said, even before they were born, that Esau wasn't to be the firstborn inheritor, that it was going to be Jacob. And uh, so he kind of lived his own way, right? Jacob pretty much pleased Isaac and Rebekah, you know, kind of always met their expectations and kind of did what they said. Esau, on the other hand, just did whatever he wants. If it feels good, do it. That was his philosophy. So it says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took as a wife Judith, the daughter of Beir, Beiri the Hittite. See something wrong here? From Abraham to Isaac. The thing was, don't marry any of the Canaanites. Don't marry any of the Canaanites in the land because they're going to tear you away from the one true God because you're going to pollute the genetic bloodline that's going to bring the Messiah. Don't do it. Esau didn't care. He took a Hittite woman. Not only that, he was a polygamist. And Basmeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Verse 35, but they caused a bitterness of spirit for Isaac and Rebekah. Why? Because these Hittite women were always sacrificing to pagan gods and had these, these, these cultural and customary things that went against the, the law of God and went against their custom and culture. And they were always trying to get Esau to do what they wanted instead of Esau doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So we see here that the lesson that we learn from here is that choosing a mate not only affects you, you know, back then, you know, except for with exceptions like this, most of the time marriages were arranged and the marriages were arranged in an effort to kind of keep families together and to have peace treaties and have one family help another. You scratch your back, you know, I'll scratch yours, all this kind of stuff and uh, kind of build up a dynasty within a conglomerate of families because they live near each other. They can protect each other. But Esau was a rebel or renegade. He did what he wanted. So he didn't even have arranged marriages. He just picked whatever women he wanted. But the mate we choose not only affects us, but it affects our family, right? And marry for love, yes, but make sure it's the mate that God has for you. I remember when I was in high school, before I went to bed at night, I was laying back, staring up at the ceiling, and I said, Lord, I know I'm going to get married someday. I have no idea who my wife is or where she is, but whoever she is, bless her. Wherever she's at, keep her safe. And if she doesn't know you yet, may she come to know you soon. And just have your will and your way on how we meet. Well, I've been married 25 years, and... My wife is my best friend. There's no doubt in my mind she's my soulmate. No doubt in my mind she's the one that God has for me. And my family has just adopted her and brought her in, and she's one of the family. And, uh, you know, so it matters who you marry. So Isaac and Rebekah know these uh, pagan women would draw Esau's heart away from God, which they did. And Solomon thought he was immune to the, the woos of women, but he wasn't. Because in the Torah, it says when there's a king that comes upon the throne, he's to write out the Torah for himself so he has a copy of the law, so he knows how to uh, rule Israel by God's instructions and expectations. Not only that, he's not to multiply horses from Egypt. He's not to marry a whole bunch of women. 
and maybe perhaps Solomon said, well, I understand the reasoning for these commandments because we don't want to grow too dependent upon Egypt. I get that. But there's nothing wrong with having some healthy stallions and chariots from Egypt. You know, it's kind of like getting an Italian car, right? It's a status thing. It's not going to affect me. And then he says, I understand. Maybe he said, I understand why we're not supposed to marry a whole bunch of other women because they're going to influence us and draw us away from God. But you know what? I'm, I'm my own man. I put my foot down. I make my own decisions. I know what I want, know what I like. Hey, I got the word of God. How can I go astray with having the word of God? You know, so I understand these, but they don't really apply to me because I'm, you know, I'm better than that. No, he wasn't. Solomon backslid. And these pagan women drew his heart away from God, and he started building temples and altars for these pagan gods the women worship, and even worshiped them himself. So, who we marry can either draw us closer to God or can pull us away from everything that God has for us. Just saying. All right. Well, that concludes the Sunday school lesson for today, like father, like son. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got a lot out of it. Uh, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, sometimes we get so caught up with our independence and our own rights. We do what we want. And uh, we fail to understand and realize that the decisions we make often affect other people. So, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to show our love to other people. And understand that what we say and do has an effect, whether positively or negatively, on somebody else. And even Paul the Apostle talked about that, saying, you know what? It's not a big deal, you know, to eat these these meat that from a pagan meat market. Because, you know, even though they're butchered and they're for public sale, people know that they've been uh, butchered in such a way that it was a sacrificial offering to a pagan god. These gods don't even exist. They're nobodies. So I have no problem eating such meat. But if I have a brother that I'm dining with... And he sees me eating something like that, I may cause him to stumble. So as long as I'm with that brother, I will not eat anything like that. I will give up my rights, my liberties, and my freedoms, and I won't flaunt that because I don't want to hurt or hinder my brother in any way. Help us to be just as loving, Lord, in our lives and the decisions that we make and the things that we do. And help us, Lord, to always put you first and always make decisions based uh, on what you tell us and what your word tells us. It's just like Israel and Joshua. These people claimed to come from a far off land and said, let's make a peace treaty with you. We heard about how great you are, how great your God is. And they didn't even investigate these people or vet these people. They just kind of took them at face value, judged a book by its cover. Ah, they got ratty clothing and their supplies look old. Okay, we believe they're from somewhere else. Come to find out they were next door neighbors and they were caught in a trap because they made a covenant with them. So Lord, what we say and do greatly affects us. Help us to draw closer to you and closer into your word so that we can uh, um, have your will and your way in our heart and our life and our mind. We pray, Lord, that you would just go ahead of us and bless the service, uh, our drive-in service this afternoon. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Hey, guys. Had a great time with you this morning. Love you guys. Hope to see you at the drive-in service at 2 p.m. Shalom. See ya. God bless.